Welcome to this podcast episode from the Oxford International Centre for Publishing Studies at Oxford Brookes University. For this episode, we have a talk by Chris Book, the CEO of Bardowl. This talk was recorded on Wednesday, 29th February 2012, and is introduced by Nicola Timbrell. We have Chris here. Chris Book, excellent name there for publishers, <laughs> uh, from Bardell. Now, I'm very excited about this because I haven't seen this wonderful product yet, Chris. Uh, he's uh, won some uh, uh, digital innovation awards, is that yeah, right? At right. Future Book yeah, yeah. in December. Um, I couldn't be there, but um, I'm sure you've had lots of. Champagne and so on afterwards, did you? A couple of beers, yeah. A couple of and beers. A, and a pizza. Brilliant. Sounds good. <laughs> um, Chris is going to tell us all about Bardow. Uh, if you know about music, you know about Spotify uh, and what that brought to music, well, maybe Bardow is going to bring that to publishing. I'll let him explain. Cheers. Thanks. Uh, so, uh, so there's sort of 20 minutes of stuff here, really, but I might bumble on a bit longer. Uh, but it'd be really nice to have sort of Q&A at the end and, you know, give me your thoughts about it and, and, and whether it's a product that you might use and, and that kind of stuff. But um, to start at the beginning, so, uh, yeah, I, I came to Oxford Brooks in 1993 uh, and I studied computing and intelligence systems on a course, uh, which was the modular course. I don't know, do they still do the modular course here? Um, so I was, I was really lucky to go to university. I, I got really bad A-level results. I got three E's. Um, but at the time, uh, people that were interested in computing kind of got on courses, basically. Um, and so I was able to come here and do, as I say, computing intelligence systems. So I'm not a publisher, I'm a technologist. Um, and I then went on to do a, a master's in similar topic at UWE in Bristol. And uh, strangely, I graduated in the summer of 96 and the MSc that I did started in January. And uh, I was working in a bingo hall in Oxford uh, on Cowley Road. And so I, I transferred to the one in Bath, which is my hometown. But it wasn't quite the same. You know, my mum went there and stuff like that. So it was a bit shit. Uh, so I started doing some temping jobs. And a few months sort of before my master's started, uh, I, I got this uh, temp, temping job through where I was at this place called Chivers Press in Bath. And it was a strange kind of um, warehouse place. And I had, my job was to record audiobooks onto cassette tapes. So there's a big library in a room this big and you, with master copies. And I would go get the uh, master copy and do a run of, say, 16 tapes, um, 16 sort of individual boxes. And uh, so I used to spend the whole time with a Walkman on listening to really, uh, really kind of shit Jeffrey Archer novels uh, while recording them. Uh, and, and so I don't know whether that was really the, my love of audiobooks started from there or not, but I kind of forgot about them quickly afterwards. Went and did a master's, graduated, and uh, got a job at, at a place called Orange, which at the time was really small. There's a new mobile network, and um, I kind of I learned a lot about technology by working for Orange and stuff like that. And I stayed there for eight years. Um, and France Telecom bought Orange, and everything changed. It kind of became a crack place. So I had the ambition to leave and start my own business. So uh, to do that, you kind of have to, you know, small steps and things like that. So I started consulting around the mobile technology that I knew about, and uh, that was good, but I kind of always wanted this ambition to have a small company in Bath with kind of f maybe five or six employees, 
uh, and to do something interesting. Um, during that time at Orange, they launched this interesting kind of employee scheme where you could go onto the intranet and choose a book from a library and it would be delivered to your desk in a, in a, in a blue bag the next day. Um, and they had books and they had audio books. So, oh, I could, you know, mainly business stuff and kind of personal development, you know, the seven habits of highly effective people, if anyone's heard of that book, that kind of stuff. Um, and I thought, oh, audio books. And I used to travel from Bath to North Bristol and it used to take 45 minutes. So I listened to, to books. So it's kind of these little things that might have happened in, in my past that might have ended up uh, doing this mad idea. Um, so, yeah, so Oxford Brooks means a lot to me because, you know, kind of managed to get to university, changed my life, met my beautiful wife who's here. Uh, and, you know, we, uh, you know, your heart kind of whole life starts, doesn't it, when you, when you go to university. So it's great. Um, so how did I end up doing this thing called Bard Hour with audiobooks? I was listening to, kind of a couple of years after leaving Orange, I was listening to Book of the Week and Book at Book Bedtime, which is BBC Radio 4 kind of audiobooks but abridged uh, radio programs. Um, but I was only listening to them because I had a first-generation iPhone, and the BBC iPlayer had, uh, it worked. So it worked in the browser of an iPhone. Uh, and there wasn't much that really worked at the time. Uh, and I thought, well, I can stream this over Wi-Fi, and it's, quite, it's kind of interesting. I can listen to radio programs. They're all broken up into 15-minute sort of programs, and you had to kind of switch around and things like that. I thought, well, that's, that's quite a clever idea. Um, and it got me thinking that, actually, I know quite a, li quite a bit about mobile stuff, and I really like audiobooks. Is there, is there something in that? Um, so three and a half years later, we're about to launch. <laughs> so it's taken a while, and I'll explain why. Um, but what is it? So how, how many people's ever listened to an audiobook? Oh, brilliant. That, that's, uh, that's an unusually high number, actually. Um, there's a problem currently with the way audiobooks work, in that typically you have to go onto one of these devices and look around the catalogue of titles that are available to you, and you have to select one title, and then you have to download it. Now, you know, this is still very much a kind of um, publisher's thinking of audiobooks as a CD product. You have to download the whole thing, and then if you're going to listen to it on one of these portable devices, then you need to transfer it across, um, and then you can start listening. So there's a problem kind of technically, which I knew how to solve, but there's also a problem with the business model of having to buy the book outright, and then, you know, you don't really know that you want it. So there's samples of information there, you've seen reviews of information, but you kind of bought it outright, and these things can be 24 hours long, right? So you could be two hours in and go, this narrator's voice is really getting on my nerves. You know, I don't want to listen to this anymore, but you've already paid the £8 or the £15 for it. So by solving this... Um, kind of technical problem of how to deliver the content, um, we also came up with a new business model. So what does Bardell do? It's an iPhone app, and it'll be on other platforms like Androids and Windows Phone 7 uh, soon, but predominantly it's an iPhone application. It looks very much like the iPod application that you get on an iPhone on iPod Touches, um, and it streams the audio. So there's a catalogue, I've got a whole load of screenshots, I want to go through kind of how it works. Um, but you can pick a, pick a title, start listening. Um, and because it's streamed over a mobile network or a Wi-Fi network, you don't, there's no waiting to download. It kind of starts playing immediately, exactly as you know, Spotify. I'm talking to the converted already, of course. But, um, so the idea is it's completely open and you can, you can start listening and start streaming. The business model is that you pay a monthly subscription, and we have two price points, so 7 dollars 
will give you up to 15 hours of audiobook time, and 14.99 will give you an unlimited amount of audiobook listening time. Um, so that kind of frees up this catalogue of content so that you can just flick around, you know, you can, the kind of, uh, the way I, I've given this presentation a load of times now and tried to sell it to the publishers, of course, the way I say it is, you know, there's this classic use case that you're on the train to London, you've got a big presentation to give, you want to be motivated, so you go and listen to some business titles. On the way back, you're completely knackered, so you might listen to uh, some fiction. And then when you get home and you're bathing the kids, you might want to put the Gruffalo on. If you wanted to do that before, you'd have to buy all of those books, have all those books, own it, and not kind of, you know, that's it, it's all paid for. The Gruffalo case, you can understand, because that's a book that you're going to listen to time and time again, or play time and time again. But the other titles, you're probably going to listen to once and throw away. So it kind of seems pointless to be, you know, purchasing those things. And that's scary for publishers, right? That's a really scary thought that people aren't going to buy for owning content. Actually, they're going to they're gonna pay to access it. But that's what we've decided to go for. The first thing that publishers ask about is, well, what about the money then? You know, because we're going to lose money if you do that. Oh, I've heard bad things about Spotify. You know, uh, artists aren't getting paid. The big record labels aren't getting paid, etc., etc. So what we do is each month we send a uh, revenue report to the publisher, you know, sort of a, a random publisher, and it shows each of their titles by ISBN, and it says how much, how many minutes have been consumed by our subscribers in that month. And we tell them how many minutes across all of our subscribers were listened to in the month. And the amount of money they get is a proportion of the, their catalogue that was in, in our overall service. So if um, Penguin had 15% of our listening minutes in a month, they would get 15% of our revenue share pot that we've got from subscribers. So I'll break that down a bit. <coughs> We charge $7.99 or $14.99 through Apple or through uh, Google or through PayPal, something like that. Um, and we have to take out the costs, you know, so Apple charge 40% on every transaction. So they take the VAT and then they take 30% for themselves. Um, and that leaves us and the publishers with 60% of $7.99 or $14.99 times the number of subscribers we have. And then that... Uh, pot is split 50-50. We keep half and we give half to a pot for the publishers, so a revenue share pot. And then that pot, so we're now talking about 60% and then split in half, that pot is split proportionally based on the number of minutes that each publisher has, uh, has driven usage of in our service. So it's completely different to a per book model where you pay, you know, typically there might be, you know, a paperback might cost 6 99 um, they would sell 100,000 of them to WH Smith. They would be on a discount basis. They might have to give 60% discount to WH Smith. And if they don't get used, they get sent back to the publisher and that's their problem. So this is a completely different model. It's more like music, uh, a bit more like radio kind of uh, licensing. Um, and this has been the biggest challenge for this business is to explain it for one, but it's a really simple model, but to explain it and to get publishers to understand what, what this might mean. And so they've done lots of modelling about, well, what if we have, you know, what if 90% of your users all go for the 14.99 and they all listen to 15 books a month? But nobody's got time to listen to 15 books a month. You know, you can't be worried about these extremes. So everything that we ever learned at Orange was, 
subscription services kind of have this distribution curve. You get high users over here, you get your average user in the middle, and then you get a whole load of people that are happy to pay $7.99 a month and only use a couple of hours of the service, but they feel like they're getting value from it. And that's exactly how Spotify um, and Netflix and all of these streaming models, that's exactly what they're like, right? Um, so we are um, always trying to explain that to the publishers and, 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 and sort of lead them through the modeling where, in our opinion, there'd be a whole load more uh, audiobook listeners. Content would be consumed much more if you had a more open model. Because having to pay $7.99 a month for one book from Audible or having to pay you know, £16 for a CD audiobook or even a download on iTunes seems ridiculous. You don't really know that you want it. Um, so that, that's kind of where we're at with the business model. And, and why mobile? I mean, this is a bit kind of it's a bit obvious now, isn't it? I think everybody's bought into the fact that smartphone apps and, 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 and mobiles are exactly where people are consuming their, consuming their content. Um, Oh, I wish I knew what these stats were. No, so um, uh, so currently, uh, yes. So thirty-eight percent of Americans own a smartphone. Fifty percent own our, our smartphone penetration of the UK. So in Western countries, there's a huge number of people that can install an app that do buy, you know, that do subscribe to services. Um, and so if you're thinking about audiobooks, then that's the obvious place to kind of put the content, right? Deliver the content that way. And with Android, all over the world, um, smartphones are being accepted. So you think, you think that people in India and China, Russia, Brazil, they're not going to have access to, to this sort of stuff. Well, they might not have an iPhone in, in as high percentage numbers, but they will have an Android phone because it's a free platform. Um, and there's hardly any functional difference between the two. Um, now, how they'll consume and how they'll pay is obviously going to be different. So there's a huge opportunity. This is the number of connected devices, so internet-connected devices, mobile devices. Um, so 6 billion today, but by 2020, there'll be um, 12 billion mobile phone devices in the world. So, but the population of the world is only 7 billion right now. And there'll be 24 billion connected devices, so that's both mobile-connected devices and Wi-Fi connected devices. So there's a huge opportunity of people to have a device. It could even be a dedicated device to, to, to do these types of services. And what we're trying to do is become this sort of global audio channel. Um, and, and not necessarily only audiobooks either, kind of thinking about how we... There's this convergence between podcasts, uh, between radio, so, you know, time-shifted radio like the iPlayer, um, and the traditional kind of long-format book turned into, into an audio program. Um, and there is, there is a kind of, um, there's an elephant in the room, and that's Amazon. Um, and if you imagine that you're a publisher, and you see your physical book sales and distribution massively dominated by Amazon, you see your e-book sales massively dominated by Amazon with the Kindle, and then you look at their audio sales, and it's 95%. Amazon, Audible. So Audible are owned by Amazon. So they need a they need a competitor in this space. Otherwise, they're giving it you know they're giving it up. Um, so that's what that's what we're trying to do. We can't compete with them on the seven ninety nine a month for one book, or uh, you know fourteen ninety nine for two books, and buying to own those books, those audio books. Um, so we have to change the business model for that reason because we need to be able to offer 
subscribers something different and then we need to you know in order to compete with a company the size of amazon you know we need to both be technically better but also have a different business model underlying so that's kind of how we've been um explaining this to the explaining this to the um to the publishers there's another trend so mobile growing massive penetration um but how people consume, how people uh, find out about whatever it is, whatever content it is, but books especially, um, for us, is through social networks, right? I guess you're all, uh, how, how many people are on Twitter? Almost everyone, so sort of 80%. How many people use Facebook regularly? How many people don't go onto a social network at all, ever? <laughs> My wife doesn't. Um, so, I'll explain how it works, but, but what we're trying to do with, um, with Bard Owl is give, because it's audio, we can extract some, uh, some of the audio content from the file and allow people to share it through these networks. And we call that a quote from a book, right? So if you think about the way that publishers market physical books, e-books, and you know, to a lesser extent, audio books, it's kind of a bit dull. You know, we spend all our time looking at text. You know, we, we are reading books, of course, but we're uh, looking at HTML, which is predominantly text with a bit of video, a bit of audio. Um, we're constantly looking at email, tweets, Facebook messages. It's all text, right? So if you think about a book, that's not really going to bring the stuff to life. Um, so by extracting these quotes, and I'll, I'll show you the demo in a minute, um, we think that we can provide a platform for not just marketing audiobooks, which of course we'd like, because we want to see the overall audiobook market increase, and we'd like to think that people would think of Bardow when they think of audiobooks, but the publishers can use that tool to market their, um, to market their, their e-books and physical books as well, and I'll show you. So how does it work? Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a native iPhone app. So how many people have heard of kind of um, this idea of having a HTML5 app? Is that something that you've thought of in publishing, digital publishing and stuff like that? Is that a, a known thing? So the web, the web is changing. It's all based on standards. Um, and mobile phones have decent browsers on them now. In the old days, you know, you had this thing called WAP and it was kind of all text and ugly and stuff like that. But, you know, iPhone, Android, Windows 7, they all have really, really compelling browsers. Um, and so a lot of people, and especially in publishing, are shifting away from this idea of a, a native app, which is what you install on an iPhone or an Android device, and sticking it as a HTML5 app. And it's just a, it's just a marketing uh, catchword, pretty shit marketing catchword, HTML5, that they use to explain the way these apps work. Um, ours is very much a, a native application, so we don't necessarily buy into this idea that people will go to a browser to do this stuff. And there's one really good reason about the way our application works while well, we have to have it as a native piece of code on the device. So we cache the content. So if you imagine that the, the, the audiobook's coming down like streaming, like when you listen to the radio on your phone, if you then went on a train or you know you were in somewhere with bad mobile coverage, it would stop playing, right? And that's the last thing you want to do. So we have a cache of three hours of each book. So it starts playing immediately, but actually you've got a big buffer there, so in case you, you, you lose connectivity. Um, so you've downloaded the app, you have, uh, so this is the first time you've used it, you have to you know, give us your email address and password. So we'll have a, it'll be free for 24 hours. So anybody that downloads the application, they can use it unlimited for 24 hours. 
at the end of that 24 hours after they've downloaded it, they have to give us an email address and password. And then um, they've then got seven days to uh, use, the, use the audiobooks that are in our catalogue for free up to a certain number of hours. So we have, we have to limit it a bit. So you give us that, you sign up, and this is the kind of featured page. So this, this will take you to a list of titles that say Richard Branson has recommended, um, you know, what's good for marketing and, and our own internal stuff. Um, I'll explain a bit about the other tabs as well. So the, um, the library, library tab is just a classic kind of genre and you click through to subgenres, and then you see a list of titles. So it's just a classic, uh, I don't even know what that's called, a library, I suppose. Um, and then favorites, I'll explain in a bit in a minute. And then search is classic, kind of, you know, start typing in uh, an author, uh, a title, um, uh, a publisher, and it, and it kind of lists their, their titles that come up, uh, and there's a whole bunch of settings. So this is a library view. As I said before, a bunch of genres, you click through and uh, you, know, you, you eventually find your title. You get a nice looking um, book detail page. So people, you know, this is classic kind of uh, book selling, right? So a little bit of a reviewer information, title, uh, the cover, who the publisher is, a little bit of synopsis. Now that's, that, so we have a bit of an argument within our business about this because in my in my naive kind of consumer non-publishing way, this is less important now because they, they've got access, so they'll just start listening. And I think that's when you decide whether you like this book or not, is you know, an hour in, five minutes in or whatever. You know. I don't know if any of you have heard of Gary Vaynerchuk, but he's, a, he's got a really strong New York accent and he's a social media guru and you think, people are gonna stop listening to this bloke because he's so enthusiastic and he's got such a strong accent, um, but he reads it himself and it makes it more compelling. Favourites is really important, so this is where the caching happens. So, uh, as I said before, you, ha you have to, when you're listening to a book, you have to select it as a favourite. And you can have four favourites and we'll store three hours of content for each of those. And that means you can listen offline. Um, so you can actually turn the, uh, you know, the phone into airplane mode and still listen to the three hours that you have cached. So although we call it streaming, it's a bit, it's a bit different. And you can't, can't really do that with music. You mean you have to select each title in uh, Spotify on the, on the apps for Spotify. Um, so we've done that kind of automatically. However, if you're just playing any book um, and you haven't set it to your favorites, there will still be 30 minutes of cash there. So you can just stream, stream, stream away until you've decided that that is one that you want to stick in your, in your back pocket of, of four titles. Uh, and then a little bit of information about how much is cash. So this one, you know, there's only 30 minutes left. So there were three hours. They've listened to two and a half hours without connecting to a network. They've only got 30 minutes left. And how close they are to the end of the title. The player. And this is where all the effort is, to be honest. This is kind of the, you know, how do you get an iPhone to stream something, which it's not, it's not designed to do for audiobooks. You know, it's designed for music and it's designed for video. You know, so YouTube works perfectly, Spotify works really, really well, um, but audiobooks are slightly different, and, and that's, what's, uh, that's what's interesting them, knowing that most people will start at the beginning of this long piece of audio and pretty much go all the way through to the end or stop somewhere in the middle. It's different. It's not like a search on video, uh, say on YouTube, where you go and watch something over there and then you go off randomly, and search, or, or in music, you might be listening to a song in a particular genre over there and go and listen to something else. Audiobooks is quite serial, so um, so it's a classic thing. You uh, 
uh, press play, that's right, and uh, you know, back and forward through the chapters, scrub a bar for kind of accuracy within the chapter, um, and then you click on this uh, chapter list and, and it, it just presents the chapters in, in number order so you can you know, skip through and find your Find, uh, find where you want to go. This is the favorites button. So you're listening and you think, yeah, I want that one in my back pocket. So you, you simply tap that and it starts caching. Um, sleep timer. So there's a who, who's the people that listen to audiobooks, uh, who listens to them as they're going to sleep? Any insomniacs in the room? So that's kind of my use case. And that's what really, really pissed me off about Audible was I've got my credit through. So I get my monthly credit through on Audible. Um, I'd want to go to bed at say, I don't know, 10.30, and i think, oh, I haven't downloaded the book. And it would be 11.30 by the time I decided what title to listen to, and downloaded the whole thing, then installed it, you know, synchronized my iPhone through a cable. Um, but they're getting better, they do, they do have an application which kind of eases that a little bit now. Um, so that, that was my kind of frustration thing. So this is a sleep timer. So, you know, especially if you're on the package where you've only got 15 hours, you don't want it to play through the night when you've sort of chucked your headphones off at two o'clock in the morning and keep playing and keep playing and keep playing and you lose your, losing your kind of time. Of course, it's all cash, so you can still go back and that doesn't cost you anymore, but um, you don't want eight hours to be lost there. So it just literally comes up with, you know, 15 minutes. Uh, rewind 30 seconds is just a classic audiobook thing. And then this is the quote button. So what happens when I press the quote button? Um, so I'm listening to a business book called uh, What Would Google Do by Jeff Jarvis? And he says something about you know, uh, internet and economics. And you, know, you think, oh, that's really clever. I'm going to show how clever I am to all my friends on Facebook. Well, probably on Twitter or LinkedIn uh, in that case. But you know, somewhere, I want to share that. So rather than, you, know, you see a lot of applications that have share functionality included in it, and it's either automatic and very spammy, or it's just, you know, I'm listening to Spotify. And it's like, mm, I kind of want to be a little bit more, um, kind of want to be a little bit more interesting with the stuff I chuck out on, on social networks. Um, so what this does is it, as I said before, it takes 30 seconds of audio from where you were listening to before. So you have to kind of align it. It's very simple. We thought about a complex piece of uh, application user interface, which would allow you to kind of snip this and extract this bit, but it, you know, it's too hard. And I don't think people would use it. So it literally just takes the next 30 seconds. You put a description in there. So a description in terms of, so other people might see that quote while they're listening to it. Um, and then you literally share it. And each one of these, and there are others, uh, when you click it, it presents the title, the author, and a shortened link. Um, we're using this service called Owly, which is rather nice given our brand. Um, and it gives you space to write some of your own commentary in there. So you might say, I'm listening to Jeff Jarvis, what, what, you know, uh, what would Google do? I don't know, isn't he a clever chap? And you might add his name in there if you knew who he was on Twitter. Um, so that's it really. And that, this is what we think will kind of drive, absolutely drive usage to our service, but we think it will drive interesting kind of recommendations for audiobooks but also recommendations for physical and ebooks so this is how it looks this is my facebook um at the moment you know uh it presents your name obviously you know you know your little bit your little bit of commentary over the top um the the title and the author and then uh you click on that that's a link and it, it plays the 30 and i'll show you how, how it plays in a second 
And obviously you can then, you know, you're starting seeing this in people's streams and people start going, oh, I've heard of, I've heard of them. I've never thought about an audio book. Let's go and explore. Let's click through. Let's share it with other people. On Twitter, very similar. So title, name, um, you know, your own little bit of commentary uh, and, and, a, and a URL. So in terms of Facebook and LinkedIn, there's an ability to embed. Um, so this is how it would look on our website. You get the uh, presentation of the, the title, the synopsis, so coming from the catalogue, and anyone, anyone in the world can access this. There's only 30 seconds. So it's not as if you have to pay for that. Um, it's accessible. And what we're working on at the moment is how to embed this into Facebook so people don't have to click on a link to get out of it. So you can embed um, video and audio into Facebook and LinkedIn. You can't do that with Twitter um, because it's, you know, it's just kind of supposed to be 140 characters, right? Uh, but Facebook and, and LinkedIn are much bigger page real estate to use. So, so we're really hoping that this is what will virally drive people to uh, use our service, of course, but also to kind of understand what the publisher has to offer. And it's got to be better to listen to 30 seconds of audio than extract a quote and have it in a, you know, if it's a blog post um, and it's just a quote from the book in text, it kind of seems a bit, for me anyway, it seems a bit dull. Um, and, and, and I think social media marketing is all about kind of making stuff interesting. So we have to, um, you know, we really have to sell ourselves because we're tiny, right? We're a tiny little startup. We've raised a small amount of money. Um, we're all living hand to mouth. And the publishers are like, nah, you know, maybe next year, maybe 2015 will be your year. And you go, oh, I'm not going to be here in 2015. So this bookseller award that we got in December, this was my pitch to them as publishers to say, look, you've got to give us a chance to uh, take flight. Uh, ooh, that's probably why they don't like it, right? Um, so you've got to give us a chance. You know, we've explained the business model to you 15 times. We've been through the legal department lots of times. You know exactly what it is. You've got to take a risk. You've got to take a punt. Or you can have all your business with Amazon. It's up to you, you know. I love this, I love the product, I love audio, I think it's very, very important. It's only 3% of the revenues for a publisher, so it's, it's not important for them um, in terms of cash, but I think there's a massively important thing about getting more people to listen to audiobooks. So the perception is that audiobooks are niche, a niche part of publishing, and 3% of revenue is a niche, right? But um, I think it's completely underutilised. I think there is a, a, like a dam with a whole load of people that if they were given a model which was more akin to the way people consume media, they'll use this more. I think, in publishing I guess not, but in the real world, um, you know, people have a stack of books that they bought from Amazon that they don't, they don't, listen, they don't read, you know, they don't get through. Um, and this is another way, I'm not, saying don't, I'm not saying stop reading, I'm saying pick the titles that work in audio and listen to them while you're at the gym, cycling to work, um, going to sleep. Uh, and commuting, I mean commuting trains and, and, and car commuting, especially in, in the United States, you know, this is, this is where the market, this is where the market is. Um, so I think there's huge potential to, to, to grow audiobooks and to use audio as a, <coughs> a marketing service. Um, and I think it will really, you know, as we get more and more kind of people purchasing, one-click purchasing of ebooks, I think they'll want to kind of follow the, you know, have a listen before they then go and buy the, the, the text, the, you know, the EPUB version. Um, and it's time, it, you know, it costs them nothing. 
I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a small risk that it cannibalizes that 3% of revenue that they're already, you know, giving most of it to Amazon uh, Audible. So it's very low risk for, for the publisher to kind of accept what, what it is that we're doing. And to be fair to them, in the last year, they've, you know, they've done a complete U-turn. You know, some of the biggest publishers in, in, in the UK, some of the biggest worldwide publishers, and we're talking to the UK teams, have kind of gone, kind of get it now. I've seen what's happened with music, and I've seen what, you know, and I've been thinking about it a while, and so they, you know, they've been signing up. Um, a point I haven't made yet is this idea of insight. So because it's streamed, we know where you are in the book. We know whether you've given up at a certain point. Um, so we know when you're consuming. And obviously, we only provide that data anonymously back to publishers about their titles. Um, but that could be really important for audiobook production. So everyone seems to think that unabridged is the way that audiobooks has gone, you know, and, and that's an audible thing. It's a digital download thing. But actually, for some titles, you do want it to be a bridge if you're going to listen to it in audio, especially in non-fiction. Uh, I'm not so sure about abridged fiction audiobooks as, as you know, ever-changing. Um, so we can give them that kind of uh, Google Analytics-type information about how people listen to their stuff, and they might want to re-record. Um, we manage all the payments through Apple <coughs> at the moment, and we'll use those mobile payment platforms to do that. So it's easy, you know, they don't have to handle that. We provide them the report that we, we uh, I showed earlier on, and it's a 50-50 revenue share. So we see it very much as a, as a joint venture, and we've had to move towards that 50-50 revenue share in order to get them interested and to kind of put aside their fears uh, of the risk of cannibalization. Okay, so, you know, to review, um, and I'll explain a bit about our launch plan um, in a second. I think it's how the customers want. I don't know. I'd love your feedback in the time we've got left to kind of, you know, is this mad? Should I give up? Go home, please. Um, it's, it's all about the minutes listened to rather than per book, which, you know, I know that publishers are worried about that in ebooks. You know, because once you get rid of the physical distribution problem, you don't really want libraries to be giving away thousands of copies. You know, if you can go to your local library and get any ebook for a really ridiculously small amount, all of their publishing revenues are now at risk. Because, you know, I can't remember the numbers, but Penguin announced a 160% increase on ebooks or something. Maybe it was a thousand, I don't know. Um, but, you know, there's huge growth there. So they have to be very protective that subscription models may not work in the ebook space, and they may not want to be seen to be supporting a model like that in audiobooks, just because it morally, you know, moves them in a direction that they don't want to go. <coughs> As I just explained, we give lots of interesting information back to the publisher about how people use, and the fact that we're encouraging people to use social media to talk about books, audiobooks in this case, um, that gives them a load of customer information as well. And it's not, you know, a penguin and a random house and a Simon Schuster, they're going to struggle to to really get people talking about their titles, because people don't listen to only Penguin books or only Simon Schuster books. They listen to what they want to, or they read, or they listen to what they want to, you know, whatever they want. So you have to have services that get people talking about it in social media in order for the publishers to be able to listen to what they're saying about that content. Um, it's, it's very protective, so this is like, uh, there's no way that people can get to this content. If you download a book digitally, you, there's easy ways to break the DRM, put it up on the, um, you know, on whatever they're called, LimeWire and all the things that our son probably does illegally uh, with his music and stuff and films. So this is very protected because smartphone apps are very secure. Um, 
And the overall thing is, what we're trying to do is provide this sort of excellent um, service that, that you get from an Apple, but you probably don't get from an Amazon. Um, so that's it. So where, where are we at? Um, so as I said, it's been three years. We probably spoke to the first publisher about two years ago. Um, the industry award we got in December has been a massive catalyst. Because there's concern about the business model, um, we've had to ring fence the, the type of content that we're going to launch with. So we decided about a year ago to focus on business books for our first product launch, which will, uh, which will be released in March. So it's very close, so about three or four weeks' time. Um, and it's just it's business only. So it's non-fiction and it's specifically business. Um, and we've got about 250 titles from the big publishers that you'd expect, with only lacking support from one major publishing group. Um, and we're going to try and sell that through channels like business schools, university business schools, and there's a whole load of entrepreneurial networks, like uh, there's a, a thing called Smarter.com, Enterprise Nation, and they're willing to kind of push our service for us. Um, <clears throat> and we're going to use social media a lot, and we're going to use PR a lot to, to get an initial surge of users. Um, and we need all the help we can get because we're competing with Audible. You know, every time you order something from Amazon, and your cardboard box arrives, there's a piece of paper in there explaining about audiobooks from Audible. Um, so that's what we're up against from a marketing point of view, uh, and that's a pretty serious challenge. We need to get to a certain level to be able to, to, fight, to fight with them. Um, so that's what we're gonna do. We'll announce, the, we'll announce the press at London Book Fair, um, and just try and generate as much hype as possible. Okay, I think we need to And please, you know, follow Bardell, that would be helpful, and, and like the Facebook page and stuff like that, and, you know, help us to get some.